Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Thanks for tuning in to the Rachel Zimmerman Show on KMOX. Now, when you visit the St. Patrick's Center website, you can easily find their purpose as an organization. Transforming lives and working to create a community where everyone has access to sustainable housing, employment, and health care. Serving over 3,700 people each year, St. Patrick's Center does so much for the St. Louis community and its homeless population. This week, I had the opportunity to sit down with the CEO of St. Patrick's Center, Amanda Lawmeyer, to discuss the challenges St. Louis faces when it comes to homelessness and what we can do to make things better. Here's Amanda. So I've been working at St. Patrick's Center eight years. Just last week, I celebrated my eighth year. Um, and I started working in our fundraising department. Um, and over time, just as uh, more opportunities came, I was able to grow into that role. Um, and that um, included overseeing our volunteers, all of our in-kind donations, which includes um, food, clothing, furniture, items, things like that, um, and sort of our community outreach. And then just this past spring, I was asked to serve as our interim CEO when our CEO resigned. Um, and then uh, this summer, I was named officially our CEO. So I'm I'm very new in this role, but um, for, very familiar with St. Patrick's Center. And it has been probably um, one of the best th- decisions that I've ever made in my life to um, start working there and be part of the mission and the work that we do. And, you know, every day that I cross the street into our building, I'm able to see folks waiting outside to um, meet with our team to get help, get to get services, to just continue on their path to permanent housing. And it's just a great and special place to be part of. Uh, growing up, did you always have a heart for the homeless and the unhoused community? So not, you know, officially that I can remember. I think like probably many um, folks in St. Louis, especially if you're Catholic, my family used to make casseroles, um, and our church would bring them down to St. Patrick's Center. Um, and I remember doing that. But I, you know, I, I knew I was going to work in social services. I knew that I wanted to help people. I actually started after um, college working for the Alzheimer's Association and working in senior services. So that is really how I got started. Um, and it was definitely helping families that were going through a crisis just in a very different way. Um, and so when the opportunity came to visit St. Patrick's Center, um, a colleague of my 
of mine at the time was um, had taken a role there. I got a tour and I was just blown away. And I think we see that every day at St. Patrick's Center. Someone comes down to learn about what we do and like, this is so much more. I had no idea. So um, I had that tour. There was an opportunity to work in their development team at the time. And um, that was eight years ago. So let's back up for people who aren't familiar with St. Patrick's Center. What does St. Pat's do and what sets you apart from other homeless outreach programs? St. Patrick's Center is a ministry of Catholic Charities. So we have been um, around for 40 years. Uh, this year, we're actually celebrating our 40th anniversary. And we call ourselves a homeless services provider, but we have a wealth of services and programs that we do. So um, 40 years ago, when we started, we opened up providing um, a warm meal and behavioral health and day programs for people to get out of the elements and connect with a case manager. Um, now we serve probably 4,400 people a year, and that's everything from that warm meal um, every day that we do seven days a week at St. Patrick's Center, case management services, but also a lot of housing programs, sheltering, and workforce development programs. So somebody that is coming to St. Patrick's Center might be facing a housing crisis. They might also have some behavioral health and um, um, a need for job training, and we can help them with all of those things and more. Um, and then we at St. Patrick Center can connect them with a lot of other services or programs if we can't do it here. So we um, have a great reputation in the community for providing a wealth of different programs, a lot of different things that we can pr- do for somebody. It really just kind of depends on what their needs are and how we can assist them. Um, Some folks are walking in today to St. Patrick Center and they need shelter tonight. There'll be others who are just on the brink of eviction. They need help getting with that rent payment. Maybe they have some other crises that we can help them with. Um, So we will see clients be part of our program for six months, sometimes a year, um, sometimes nine years, 10 years, the rest of their life. It really depends on what type of program they're in um, and how we're supporting them. So tell me about the housing first uh, approach and why is that so important to your mission? Housing first is really sort of a methodology that is used not just at St. Patrick's Center, but across um, the region and nationwide. It's sort of the the standard that HUD has set as um, how homeless service providers should operate. And the idea is just like it sounds, housing first. So if someone comes in who is in a housing crisis and um, they have other things that they're dealing with, maybe it's uh, addiction or sobriety, maybe it's a behavioral health issue. Maybe they are without employment and need um, some skills training. We're going to work on finding them housing first and then provide those wraparound supportive services. So in the past, the idea was housing was almost like the carrot at the end of the stick. Um, You're going to um, to get this housing, you're going to go to you know two AA meetings a week. You're going to meet with your counselor this many times. You're going to get a job, and you're going to hold that job for 30 days. And then once we check off all those boxes, we're going to get you into housing. But what we found and what we know to be true is that it's much easier to stay sober, to stay clean, when you have a safe place to sleep at night. When you um, are worried about where you're sleeping tonight, it's very difficult to find a job and to fill out an application and go on an interview. But if you have an address, you can put that on your resume. Um, you can, If you have some place to uh, shower and get ready for work and privacy, you'll be able to show up on your job on time. So the idea is really 
we're going to try to get people into housing first right away and then work on those other things that they're dealing with um, and provide that wraparound support. So it's not housing only. Um, We know the answer is not just here is some housing, good luck to you, but it is uh, the importance of getting them into housing right away and not making it sort of the reward. And you were telling me before we turned the mics on, not everyone is initially a fan of the housing first approach. Absolutely. So especially when we um, changed over to this and even today, um, there's people that uh, feel that you should, you know, do certain things that in order to qualify for housing. So, for example, uh, if you are in a program and you, um, you know, you're using, you relapse. Uh, in the past, you would lose housing. We don't do that anymore. And there's some folks that struggle with that. They say, well, they're, you know, that's it. They should be, they should be done. Um, and this week, actually, I was meeting with a donor and supporter of ours who said that he, when he first heard of Housing First, he was not a supporter. Uh, he felt very similar that there should be things set in place in order for someone to get housing. Um, but his work with St. Patrick's Center the last few years have changed his mind. And it really um, made me proud to hear that because we we know that to be true. I know there's even um, co-workers at St. Patrick's Center when we switched that had a hard time with it. You know, they themselves may have been a client and had to go through the program differently than how someone goes through now. So to, um, you know, hear someone from the outside say they believe in housing first because they can see it be successful at St. Patrick's Center is just uh, really exciting. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. For us. We're back with the Rachel Zimmerman Show on KMOX. I'm talking to Amanda Lawmeyer. She's the CEO of St. Patrick's Center. So let's talk about person first language when it comes to homelessness and how important it is. It's really important um, to us to bring dignity, respect, and understanding to the folks that we serve. So St. Patrick's Center, we like to say that we meet people where they are. And what that means is we're really coming to them without judgment, without um, assumptions and treating them just as we would want to be treated. And that includes using person first language. Um, Person first language is not something unique to St. Patrick's Center. Um, You oftentimes will hear this in. Uh, for example, if you're talking about a, a, a child or a student with autism, you'll say a, a, 
a child with autism. You wouldn't say an autistic child. Um, and so that's what we try to do at St. Patrick's Center is that we say this is a person experiencing homelessness. Um, they're not a homeless person. That doesn't define who they are as a person. Um, and, you know, through our help and others, hopefully that experience with homelessness will go away. Um, and so we just really try to focus and remind everyone that these are people that we're working with and, and that they're a person first. Um, and, you know, the dignity and compassion that are part of our values, um, we'd like to see across the board for anyone who is experiencing this type of crisis. Let's talk about downtown for a second. Do you think that we have any unique challenges in downtown St. Louis when it comes to people experiencing homelessness? I think if you listen to any news media, you probably could say that downtown has um, a a lot of challenges with homelessness. Um, And I think it really, at the end of the day, points to a challenge that we have as a region with affordable housing. Um, Affordable housing and the access to affordable housing is something we see at St. Patrick's Center as a huge problem for many, many of our clients. Finding something that's safe and affordable um, is definitely a challenge that we have. We also have a shortage of shelter beds, um, and that is probably not news to anyone, um, especially in the last few weeks. We um, just do not have enough, and we need to have shelters that are also what are considered low barrier. So, um, Shelters that folks that are used to living in an encampment or that maybe a traditional shelter is not um, working for them would be available to them. And that's really difficult. That takes um, a lot of resources. We at St. Patrick's Center have one low barrier shelter. Uh, We have another shelter that's a little bit different from that um, just for women. And um, it's full. They're both constantly full. If I were to pull up um, the the system that we all use across the city right now, I would say that probably most shelters will be full. It's it's a continued concern that we have here um, at not just St. Patrick's Center, but across the, the city. What was your experience dealing with the recent encampment at City Hall? Um, so we had been outreaching. So St. Patrick's Center has a program that's called Mobile Outreach. Um, And five days a week, we are throughout the city of St. Louis visiting um, different encampments or places that we know folks to be living outside um, or, you know, in a, in a, non-official housing situation. And though and the outreach team, their goal really is to connect with people, bring them water, um, connect to them with resources, sort of case management on the street, if you will. Um, and the idea is as we build up those relationships, we can connect people to housing and shelter. Um, we can even put people on the housing priority list through mobile outreach and really, you know, get them ready to go um, when they're ready for shelter. And so as that encampment in City Hall was popping up, and I want to say this started in probably August, we were outreaching there along with many other service providers that we work with, um, trying to engage with the individuals there. And I know um, the Department of Human Services with the city was as well. Um, so it was, you know, it's really difficult. It started to grow then You see a lot of media get involved when that happens. Um, There was certainly, I think, some strategy around it as far as you could see um, some signs and and other providers that were out there um, kind of helping with the protest, if you will. And so I think that adds another layer that makes it a little more difficult for 
agencies like St. Patrick's Center, um, Athena Health, other BJC. There was plenty others that were out there um, trying to support uh, that I probably didn't name. And, um, you know, when you add on some of that protest and other behavior, it, it certainly makes it a little more difficult for all of us to do what we're trying to do, which is get people into housing and get them the resources and help they need, um, make it, you know, as comfortable as possible for them there um, and make sure that they are getting what they need. Um, so we were there to support in any way we could. We were not, um, you know, we're challenged like many other homeless providers that without open shelter beds, there's not a lot of things we can do. Um, so I have to give a lot of credit to Adam Pearson and his team at um, Department of Human Services for uh, through some hotels and sheltering. And I think a couple other housing projects was able to find, uh, I think the number was 40 uh, beds for folks uh, at City Hall. So I think that was, you know, a huge effort on his part in the cities to really try to do something for the individuals that are there. But, um, you know, we continue to see that the encampment has only really just moved. And so it, it's a it's a huge challenge. And, and I think it does speak to the need for maybe more low barrier encampments um, and uh, or I should say low barrier shelters that folks that are used to an encampment would feel more comfortable in. What are some of the main reasons uh, people experiencing homelessness give for not wanting to come down to the shelter? You know, it's hard to say what each person is probably a little bit different, but a lot of times it can be safety. Um, They may have lived in a shelter where they didn't feel safe or secure or items were throwing throw or stolen or, you know, things happen. Um, There's a lot of rules and regulations at some traditional shelters. So, for example, if you wanted to have a glass of wine tonight at your home, you would be able to do that. Um, there's, you know, going to be a rule most likely at a traditional shelter about drinking and drugs. Um, and that's, you know, understandable. We we have some of those same rules at St. Patrick's Center. But um, for an individual, that really, you know, if they're not in a shelter, they can go and do those things. Um, there's oftentimes a curfew, which makes it difficult if you have a job or just, I, you know, I don't want to be back at my house tonight by 6 p.m. and lose my bed. Um, and I don't have to worry about that. But in some shelters, you do. So just, you know, those rules and sort of regulations um, do make it really difficult for someone who the other alternative is to have a, a community and an encampment with people they know, people where they usually feel safe um, and without those rules. So um, it, it can be it can be hard for folks uh, to make that transition. And, and you, I think you also have to remember these are individuals that often have for years been in and out of the streets. Um, and so they they may feel more comfortable um, if I became homeless today. Most of my life, I've been housed. It's going to be a much different decision for you or I or folks that are listening than someone who has likely experienced years of trauma um, and, you know, just had a different life than many other folks. Yeah, that's so important to keep in mind because I think we all put ourselves in the situation and go, well, I would obviously do X, Y, Z, but you have such a different experience than what a lot of these people have experienced. Um, so St. Patrick's Center just received significant funding from the 22nd Judicial Courts. Can you tell me about that? Sure. So um, that's true. We received, um, we were one of three organizations to receive significant gift from the courts. Um, this was the first time that 
I was familiar with it. I think uh, I've since learned that they did pilot this with um, Mission St. Louis just before announcing the full award to us this week. But um, so either way, this is really exciting and first time um, investment for them as well. And what that means is um, individuals that are going through the court system that are involved in a pre-trial program will be referred to St. Patrick Center, um, and we'll be able to provide housing services with a case manager along with workforce um, development programs. So this is really exciting for us because it takes two of our programs and combines combines them, which at St. Patrick Center happens very every day. We're we're always looking at how someone in housing may benefit from one of our workforce training programs, whether that's through skill building, finding a new job, having a job coach, going through um, barista training, a number of different things. Uh, but to have a funder stand up and say, we recognize that for someone who um, is obviously going through uh, a criminal justice situation right now. To be successful, we need to stabilize them in housing, and we also need to stabilize them in um, their economic situation is really incredible. Um, so we're excited to be part of it. Um, our it, it, our funding will pay for case management services, housing for the individual, and then the workforce training program, which um, is growing rapidly at St. Patrick Center and is really starting to reach a lot of people with different skill building and um, some of our new um, training programs. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about the workforce sure. training. Absolutely. So we at Workforce Development at St. Patrick Center, we do, as I mentioned, um, job training programs, job readiness training, things like soft skills, um, mock interviews, all of those types of things. But one of the things we're kicking off this fall, or maybe I should say winter now, um, is uh, in partnership with Catholic Charities, we're going to be opening a barista training program um, through the Central Library Cafe. Um, So downtown. So we'll be um, taking over the cafe space um, and the individuals that are working the cafe are getting paid um, job training wages and learning barista training skills. So they'll make lattes and coffees. Um, There'll also be quick snacks at the cafe, sandwiches to go, um, treats and things like that. Um, And it's a great opportunity for us to take what we've been doing the last year or so of the barista training and getting our clients um, permanent jobs in not just coffee cafes, but hospitality type settings, uh, but to really have it open to the public and for anyone to see. And um, and then after a few weeks that folks are in that program, they'll then be placed in more permanent jobs and we'll bring a new group of people to work in the cafe. So we're, we're really, really excited. It's called um, Sacred Grounds. And um, we should be opening November, December. But as soon as we have the more details, I'll be sure to send them to you. I'm really excited. That's right across the street from KMOX. So I'll be there I'm, all the time. I'm excited, too. You're listening to The Rachel Zimmerman Show on KMOX. Now let's continue our conversation with Amanda Lawmeyer, the CEO of St. Patrick's Center. Okay, what's something you wish more people in the general population understood about the homeless population? I think a lot of times on the news, there's stereotypes that we see and hear about. um, And and it's certainly, you know, easy to generalize that everyone that is experiencing homelessness is a criminal, a drug user, has severe mental health problems, um, is going to be a threat to my safety. And, 
while certainly you hear stories on the news that I'm not discounting not to be true, but it is not the norm. And it's really sometimes heartbreaking to hear these things because every day at St. Patrick's Center, we are helping such incredible people that oftentimes are just kind of down on their luck. Uh, uh, You know, if you think about how many people live paycheck to paycheck right now, um, many people are just one paycheck away from losing, being evicted um, and losing housing. So I think, you know, the assumptions that we hear across the media sometimes make it difficult. Um, It may surprise people to hear that our clients, people that are experiencing homelessness, are more likely victims to be victims of violence than to perpetrate it. Um, And, uh, you know, the life and living on the streets is not... Um, it's not an ideal situation for anyone. And so it is just so important to, I think, have some empathy and compassion for what folks are dealing with. And um, we certainly don't support anyone breaking the law or, you know, everyone needs has the right to be safe and feel safe. And so, you know, we want that for our clients just as well. Um, but I think, you know, just really understanding where people are coming from. And we encourage people to come to St. Patrick's Center for a tour, come and volunteer and serve lunch, um, you know, get to know the folks that we're serving and, um, you know, then make those judgments. So you talk about the people that you've helped that have just been down on their luck. Can you tell me about some recent client success stories? Absolutely. So um, one of the individuals I'm thinking of is um, a woman who she, let's see, about 50, maybe about 12 years ago, she's in a program that we have called Project Protect. Um, Project Protect is um, a program that is for families that are parents, I should say, that are at risk of losing their children because of a substance abuse or behavioral health concern. And so before that uh, custody order is put in place, our case managers can come in and we can really go into the family and help stabilize. Um, So this woman was dealing with some sobriety issues. She was also coming from um, a relationship where she was abused by her partner for years and years and years. And so she went to a shelter, um, but she had her, uh, at the time it was three children, three daughters. Um, and she, yeah, she, actually, I'm sorry, she has two, two children and uh, she's pregnant with the other one. Um, and she really didn't know what to do. And um, at the time there was not room for the children. And so she found herself leaving the children with that abuse partner, uh, partner that was abusing her. And um, living in the shelter by herself. Um, And so through this program, we were able to get her into housing on her own, get the children back with her, get her stabilized, work on not just sobriety, um, but just health and support for her and her family, um, including workforce development and finding a job. Um, And so she was doing this for, I would say, a good, you know, seven to eight years ago. Um, And then um, she was working actually at the 7-Eleven downtown. Um, And then I think some folks will remember that a few years ago, it was burned down. And so, um, you know, suddenly now she is unemployed Uh, A mother of three children has housing. Life was pretty stable, um, but then she falls back into that crisis. Um, And so because she's part of that program, we were like, don't worry. Her case manager comes out. Um, We work on a few things. We find new housing and I'm sorry, 
new employment and get her back on track. Um, and so, you know, that case manager being a permanent part of her life, I think, allowed her to stay stable, allowed those kids not to worry. Um, imagine, you know, what the children were thinking when they hear mom loses her job and mom's the only source of support. So that was super exciting. And then just two years ago, because she stayed on this program with us and has been supportive, she was actually able to move into a home. And um, we did that right. And I say we, but I say she, really, because she did that um, right before the holidays. Um, and so two, two Christmases ago, she spent Christmas in her own home with her children, with their tree, and a space and size that she had not really had before. So those are stories I like to share because um, while anyone that moves into housing tonight that will be able to help is a success story to us, um, I think it sometimes people don't think about the families that we're serving at St. Patrick's Center and just the importance of that long time that permanent or long-term support that we can provide. And without it, what could have happened? How can people get involved with St. Patrick's Center? There's a lot of different ways. Um, We encourage everyone to volunteer. Um, You can do that very easily just by visiting our website at stpatrick.org and then click engage and then you'll see all those opportunities. Um, We serve a a warm meal every day at our main building on Tucker. um, So we always encourage folks to come and serve that with us. Um, It's a great quick opportunity to be involved, but we also need help stocking our pantry, sorting through our clothing room. Uh, We're always looking for people to help on that workforce programs, whether that's doing the mock interviews or just helping with skill building. Um, Our veterans program, including our veterans housing unit, um, which is on um, Delmar and Van Deventer. They're always looking for folks to come and help and engage with the veterans there. Um, we have a behavioral health housing program on Grand called Rosati Center that um, also has a lot of opportunities. So it's really the, the ways to get involved are endless. Um, and we, you know, encourage people just to connect with us and then we'll figure out what they're, they're looking for and we'll kind of find a way. Um, and then I think another way that's easy and and a quick way coming up to support is our Veterans Day 5K, which is a walk run on Saturday, November 11th. Um, it, it raises funds and support for all of the work that we do at St. Patrick's Center, but it certainly calls attention to our veterans programs. Uh, I think a lot of times people are surprised to know that uh, about 20% of the clients we serve at St. Patrick's Center are veterans. Last year alone, we served over 800 veteran families. Um, So we'll get together on November 11th, actual Veterans Day, which is even... um, kind of special on itself. Um, And we'll do a 5K walk run. There's also one mile. Um, And then right after that, the city of St. Louis and the Missouri History Museum will put together the um, St. Louis Veterans Day Parade. So it's a a great fun morning for families to come out. Um, Just before the parade, after the 5K, we try to have some fun with the kids with the bubble bus. And there's usually um, refreshments and coffee and things like that because sometimes it can be a little bit of a cold day, but it we make it pretty fun. And then um, the Veterans Day Parade is right after that. And this all takes place at Soldiers Memorial downtown um, and is really just a great fun day for the whole family. Amanda Lawmeyer, she's the CEO of St. Patrick's Center. Amanda, thank you so much for coming and sharing your knowledge today. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. 
Thanks for listening to The Rachel Zimmerman Show on KMOX. I'm Rachel Zimmerman, obviously. Um, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Amanda Lawmeyer. She's the CEO of St. Patrick's Center. I really enjoyed it. found it very informative. If you missed any part of the conversation, you can always podcast the show. Just search for The Rachel Zimmerman Show on the Odyssey app or anywhere else you get your podcasts. And by the way, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Rachel ZSTL. That's at Rachel ZSTL. If you have any questions or comments about the show, I would love to answer them. So yeah, that'd be cool. All right. I'm looking at uh, a survey here from Skyscanner and OnePoll. They teamed up to survey 2,000 travelers to see what grates on their nerves the most when they are flying and traveling by air. Um, This is pretty relevant to me because I'm about to take the longest flight of my life next week. I'm actually traveling to Tokyo. Uh, First time off the continent, first time taking a flight that's more than like three or four hours. So this is going to be like a 14-hour flight, and I'm a little nervous that I'm going to be sat next to someone who is annoying. So hopefully I don't get stuck with any of these people on this list of, uh, you know, people said in their survey, these are the most annoying people to sit next to whenever you're flying. So number one, people who do mid-flight manicures. So people who are doing personal grooming while they're on the flight, 42% of people said, no, don't clip your nails, don't trim your facial hair, just don't be gross whenever we're in the middle of a flight. I, I've i never been in a situation before where I've seen someone clipping their nails on the plane, but if they did, I think I would just have a meltdown right there. I just don't think I'd be able to handle it. Don't do this, people. What is wrong with folks? Okay, moving on. Number two, 42% of people get mad when uh, fellow passengers blast calls or videos on their speakerphone. This is just in general. You don't want people to be doing this. It's rude everywhere, but on a plane, especially when there's no escape, ugh, that's the worst. Headphones were invented for a reason. Keep it to yourself, people. (laughs) The next I definitely relate to, the overly chatty people. Uh, Not everyone wants to small talk when they're on the plane. In fact, I think most people don't want to at all. And 39% of people wish you would keep the conversation to a minimum whenever you're on a flight. The last flight I was on, I was with my mom. We were flying back from Florida. And it was southwest, so there was three people in the in the row of seats. And the woman who sat next to us was so nice, but she obviously wanted to talk. And I was like, I hadn't slept the night before, and I was just in a bad mood and just wanting to get the flight over with. And I'm like, Mom, don't talk to her because my mom is so nice, and she doesn't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And sure enough, we ended up talking to her for the majority of the flight home, which, you know, it wasn't so bad. She was a nice lady, but I'd still feel like the... Uh, the nervousness and the annoyance whenever that conversation started up. I'm kind of making myself sound like a grumpy, bad person right now, but sometimes you just don't want to talk, especially on a plane. So overly chatty people, 39% of people wish you'd keep it to yourself. Next up, number four, 35% of people find it gross when someone airs out their feet in the middle of a flight. You heard that right. When you take off your shoes This just seems like common sense that nobody wants you to do that. There are feet people who think that everyone wants to see their feet and it's okay to take off their shoes. I, You know, like people who take off their shoes at work and walk around on the carpet with their 
dogs out. No, don't do that. And then there are the people who are overly grossed out by feet who don't even want to be around someone wearing sandals. I fall somewhere in between. I'm fine with sandals. I don't want to see you um, take off your shoes and socks on a flight. Let's just let's meet each other in the middle here and just keep them in your shoes. I mean, don't be gross. Don't be gross, people. Number five, 31% of respondents find it bothersome when you push your seat seat back. So the Internet is divided. Some people are arguing for comfort on long-haul flights, uh, saying like, hey, your seat is designed to lean back, so go ahead and do it. And other people are saying, no, then you're leaning back into the other person's personal space. It's just rude. I tend to land on the team of I don't want to get in anyone else's personal space. We're already stuck up here. The thing I keep coming back to with a plane is you can't leave. You can't just walk off and remove yourself from the situation. So just try to be a good neighbor and maybe don't lean back into someone else's space. Number six is armrest hogging. (laughs) Uh, You're already cramped and then your neighbor uh, uses up your entire armrest. 31% of people say that's a big no-no. I'm surprised that number isn't a little bit higher. And then finally, this is the the hot topic on the Internet nowadays, the seat swap saga. 31% of survey takers agreed that it is annoying when someone else asks you to swap seats on a flight. I am totally team don't ask me to move. We have resources in this day and age, folks, day and age, folks where you can reserve your seat in advance or you can get there early and you can get the seat that you want. It is not everyone else's problem to accommodate your party of 10 or whatever is going on. I know there's special circumstances. People have kids. People have things going on, whatever. I get it. But in general, there's usually a way for you to get the the seat you want before the flight. So don't make it everyone else's problem. So I'm just passing on this information, maybe a little bit out of nervousness because I have this long flight coming up. Uh, But uh, I thought that was kind of funny, and a lot of people could relate to that with the flight stuff. Even though I will be out of town next week, we do have a new episode. I'm going to talk to my friend Jimmy Griffin. He's a local rock star. He's just an awesome person. We talk about his life. We talk about his career. I'm also going to talk to Angie Villa. She's the museum manager at 21C Museum here in downtown St. Louis. Talk a little art with her. So it's going to be fun. If you missed any part of today's show, you can podcast it. And I just thank you guys for listening. I appreciate you so much. And I hope you have an amazing weekend. Bye. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 